Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hey, y'all. If you've been listening to the podcast in July, you already know that I made a super last minute decision to pause recording new podcast episodes for the month. I just had a moment where I just realized I really need a break and a rest, especially after last month's attachment series and opening up the club to new members. So I reached out to a few podcasts where I'd been a guest and asked if I could publish the interview that I did on their podcast on my podcast. JD and Tona over from the Empowered to Connect podcast graciously agreed. And today you are going to hear what may be one of the most fun podcast interviews I've ever done. If you aren't familiar with Empowered to Connect or the podcast, you will want to check them out for sure. Empowered to Connect is doing amazing work in the world to support parents just like you, parents who want to bring more connection to their relationship with their kids who have a history of trauma. You can learn all about what Empowered to Connect does, including their podcast over at EmpoweredToConnect.org. So of course, I'm Robin Goebel, and welcome to the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate it for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who've experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention to get free, accessible support to you as fast as possible. So this podcast isn't fancy. I do very little editing, so you're going to hear a cock a doo in the background. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share it with your friends and colleagues. You are definitely going to want to head over to my website and get the free ebook I've created all about the brilliance of attachment. I took everything from June's six-part series on attachment, had it professionally laid out into a free ebook. Being able to watch that series go from my words into what feels honestly like a work of art because of how it was designed and laid out was so surprisingly lovely. I hope that you will love it. RobinGobel.com slash ebook. And then of course, while you're on my website, you're going to want to check out the club, a virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. Earlier... This month, or I guess it was just, it was last month already. Holy smokes. I released a brand new feature in the club. All of the club content, masterclasses, Q&As, guest presenters, everything that happens in the club on live audio and video now has the audio uploaded into a private podcast feed that's just for club members. This has, of course, been a huge hit for club members. The club opens for new members approximately every three months and we'll be opening our doors again in the fall. So if you head to robingobel.com slash the club, you'll be able to add yourself to the waiting list. All righty. I hope you're going to enjoy this flip-flopped episode where I'm interviewed by Tona Ottinger and J.D. Wilson, connected parenting experts, podcast hosts, and just all around amazing humans. Oh my, do we ever laugh in this episode. In this episode, they really wanted to explore the bold statement that I've made about how there's no such thing as self-regulation. So we really deconstruct that and look at what I really mean when I say that and talk about what co-regulation is, how co-regulation is absolutely necessary if we want to bring about 
self-regulation in our kids and, and honestly in ourselves. I've found that the concepts of both co-regulation and self-regulation can get pretty kind of confused. There's a whole lot of people saying a whole lot of things that isn't necessarily based in the science. So that's what I'm here to do. Take the science, translate it so that it makes sense and is relevant for you and your parenting journey. I hope you'll enjoy this interview. I know I totally did. Here we go. Well, all right, Tana Ottinger and I are here today uh, with a very special guest, Robin Goebel. Uh, and you may know Robin's work from uh, her website, from her podcast, from her blogs, from uh, Facebook Live, from a, a, if I explained all the ways that she gets content out there, we would not have an actual show. <laughs> so we're really thankful for Robin to be here today. And we're going to talk about um, some of the work she's done in particular around one, one specific topic. But uh, Robin, thank you for being here. And if you will, why don't you give, for folks who are not familiar with your work, just kind of a, a brief context of who you are and, and what your work is about. I would love to. And thank you so much for having me. This is fantastic. We're going to have a blast. Um, So I'm a trained tech, I'm a psychotherapist and I've spent my entire career being a therapist with uh, kids and families. And for a whole host of different reasons, it really became my area of kind of concentration or expertise at the very beginning to work with kids who had experienced trauma and Again, for other reasons, the vast majority of my clients have always been adopted children and adopted families who were adopted after experiencing trauma and through foster care and um, international adoption. So I had a full-time practice when I was living with my family in Austin, Texas, and did that for, again, my whole career. And there came a point pretty early in my career where I realized like there's not enough of therapists. There's not enough helpers. There's not enough people who know how to support like the very complex needs of these families. Um, I couldn't begin to support all of the families who are in need in my own town. And so I just tried to get really creative about how do, how do we do two things? How do I support more helpers and therapists becoming skilled and competent and, and loving working with these families? Cause I think that's a big piece of it too. Like you have to really love working with these families. And also how can I get creative about, helping more families who don't have access to therapy for a whole host of reasons, you know, going into a therapist's office is um, pretty inaccessible to a lot of families. So, and I've always loved teaching. I've always loved, um, you know, the energy of groups and being with lots of people. And so I've been teaching both, both therapists and families, parents outside the office. Um, and then thankfully, you know, like the virtual world has offered us so many new and amazing opportunities to do that. So a year, a year and a half ago now, more than that, my family and I, we left Austin, Texas. I closed my clinical practice and we relocated to outside Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is where I grew up. So we kind of, in a way came home. That wasn't the total motivation for it, but that is a part of it. Sure. So, so I, of course had to close down my clinical practice and, um, planned to settle and open up a new practice and see families again here, um, for a lot of different reasons that hasn't happened yet. Some of that's the pandemic. Uh, But the other piece is that I've really been, inspired, energized by working with and connecting with helpers and families in a different way, like outside the one-on-one therapeutic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and you mentioned mentioned moving, which is why Uh previously in Austin, you would not have heard roosters in your backyard. Nope. And and now you might hear roosters. So if you're if you're listening to this in your car or in your mm-hmm. you walk around the house, yeah. whatever, and you hear a rooster, it is not on your side. <laughs> like it's in it is in Michigan. So um yes. yeah. So okay, this is awesome. Well, thank you for that. That was really helpful. And um 
I would just say, we talked about this before we started recording, but um, where I was introduced to your work was in an article or a blog that you wrote um, in talking about there was no such thing as self-regulation, which caught my attention. And I knew that was probably trick language. And then I read it yeah. and it was, yeah. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. So why don't we start right. with that? You've done a lot of work around the idea of co-regulation and, yes. and what is actually happening in the brain during that. So for those of us who are just walking into this conversation, can you sort of walk us through the idea of co-regulation and then why, why and how that's different from self-regulation and how it's functioning in the brain. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start Here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first and that I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingoble.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. robingoble.com slash start here. Yeah, love to. And yes, you're right. There was a provocative title to that article <laughs> on purpose. And while also, I really believe in my heart being really completely true. There's no yeah. real such thing as self-regulation. And I love to tell your listeners about why I why I believe that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, thankfully that we we are shifting kind of culturally our narrative around kids' behaviors, everyone's behaviors has taken a shift, you know, in the time I've been a professional away from a real strict behavior-based model, choices, you know, this, this one way of looking at behaviors. And we have started to talk more about regulation and really supporting kids' development of self-regulation. And so that's fantastic, you know, because we're pulling we're pulling behaviors out of like this characterological assessment. Like they're just bad. They're doing this on purpose. It's a choice. Right. And we're really shifting to seeing like, oh, there's so much more to it than that. In particular, regulation. Like regulation is underneath everything. Um, and when we're talking, and in this moment, when you know, regulation is a word that applies to all sorts of things. Like the word regulation applies to like the temperature in my house and how <laughs> right. the thermostat helps to regulate my temper the temperature in my house, right? Based oh, yeah. on the feedback it's getting from the environment. And then it makes changes if needed based on yeah. the feedback that it's getting, right? So the word regulation applies to a billion things. Uh, but typically in my you know work with families and my work with clinicians, when we're saying regulation, we're talking about like the regulation of the energy and arousal of our bodies. It's um which is part of our autonomic nervous system. This underneath kind of everything is the regulation of our heart rate, of our respiration, right? How the energy and arousal helps us be okay in a moment, you know, to moment basis and help us be okay given what's happening in the environment at that moment, right? Yeah. So when kids are having, you know, behavioral challenges and having an outburst or a tantrum or whatever language we would use, you know, again, it's been positive that we've shifted to, well, you know, what about regulation? They're not regulated. And then like so many things, we make a big, huge positive shift. And then there's still, there's always still more to do, right? <laughs> so we shifted, we shifted to like, well, let's talk about regulation. But then we got really focused on the concept of self-regulation in a way that if we truly are looking at and understanding kids' brains, and then we can take that a step further to talk about kids who have 
you know, experience trauma or toxic stress or, or a lack of, um, you know, attachment connection-based relationships that we're expecting this idea of self-regulation in a pretty developmentally inappropriate way. You know, right. so we would do, yeah. we did these amazing things and we made calm down corners in classrooms and, right. you know, we taught kids calm down skills, but then we were really mad that they weren't doing them. Totally. <laughs> Totally. I, I remember my first, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make a tiny beer. And it had like a fidget in it. I even put, uh-huh. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm just going to tell on myself. Uh-huh. I put like crayons in there and note cards so they could like uh-huh. write a note to mom about right, how right, right. I, I was even like, if you're mad at me, you can draw me a picture of how angry you are. Yes. And what do they do when they went to that calm down court? What do you think happened to that, those crayons and those note cards? They uh, threw them at you or busted them in half or something. Calmly yeah. <laughs> write me a note about how they were feeling. I mean, intentions, great. Application. Yeah, totally. 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 Yeah. I mean, the intention is so great, right? And again, it's all, all of this is about just taking steps and it is a step towards let's get underneath the behavior and think about the feeling and support yeah. the feeling and make, you know, space for it. And there is gorgeous intention there. And there's, yeah. it's still not possible. Like the brain is still really not capable yeah. of that in the moment in which we would be wanting to send a child to a calm down corner, right? <laughs> Totally, that totally. we were, yeah, we're moving all the way to this idea of, of, of self-regulation and forgetting to ask ourselves like, well, does this child have enough experiences of co-regulation to even be capable of that? And is that, and even if they have had enough experiences of co-regulation to be capable of that, are they capable of that right now? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because can you explain kind of what's what's going on in the brain in a moment of dysregulation that that makes this a less reasonable expectation? Like why can't yes. they write mommy a love letter or a hate letter in that moment? Like why can't <laughs> they do that? <laughs> well, because that requires a bit of regulation. Right? Exactly. So right. regulation is about, you know, regulation first of all, let's be very good. Regulation does not equal calm. Right. And we conflate those words all the time that somehow we've managed to turn regulated into calm. And that is not true. Right. Like I'm regulation is about like being mindfully present, connected enough to self that I have some awareness of what's happening for me and I could take some steps to shift that if it was appropriate. Right. So I think Dan Siegel's definition of Dan Siegel, the author of like whole brain child, parenting from the inside out, all that kind of good stuff. His definition of regulation is, um, you know, that, well, that self-regulation involves both the capacity to monitor and modify our energy and arousal, our inner experience. So monitor is like notice and track and pay, you know, pay attention to what's happening for us and then modify it is to, change it. So that is what we're hoping for in like calm down corners, for example, right? Right, That kids can monitor and then modify, but that really in the moment of when we're most wanting a child to regulate it, they don't have the capacity for the self regulation piece yet. They don't have that capacity to pause and notice and be mindful and present enough with themselves to go like, Whoa, I need to you know, take a deep breath or something like that. Yeah. So why then is co-regulation so important? And then what, like what comes out of that? Yes. So I think the best answer to that question is to go all the way back to talk about like how, how co-regulation lays the foundation for self-regulation in the first place and look at like babies and brain development, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, When babies come into the world, they are really, their system of like energy and activation is working pretty darn good, right? Like for most babies, when they burst into the world within moments, they're expressing energy and arousal, right? With crying. Yeah. And what they're, what the part of their nervous system that is still needing a lot of support and development is the break system of that, right? They've got this like energy arousal accelerator parts, but the yeah. <sighs> kind of like, 
let's let's bring the brakes onto that energy and arousal. Let's kind of come down. You know, that part of the nervous system is just super immature at birth. Um, to the point where like the the nerve, the the ventral vagus nerve that is so involved in our regulatory experiences, it's lacking the like fatty myelin sheath that wraps itself around nerve axons. And the myelin sheath of nerve axons helps nerves, let's just say it helps nerves work more efficiently. They communicate with each other better and faster. And so, so babies burst into the world and they're good at being, you know, having energy. Yeah. (laughs) But if we didn't go to them, right? Like if a, if some adult didn't move towards them, right? They don't have yet the capacity to bring that kind of break onto their energy. That's expressing like, I need something, right? The energy is, I need something. Help me, help me, help me. So we have to go to them. And and in a way, we offer our regulated nervous system to them. But there's a really important piece that I think gets overlooked a lot that is important when we're talking about kind of the development of co-regulation into self-regulation is that first, you know, when we're, co-regulation is about like the mutual influence on one another's nervous systems. Yeah. Okay. So you impact me and I impact you. Yeah. Right. So as the adult, if a baby is distressed and crying, the the thing that happens to me is that I have a moment of distress, right? Like I have a moment of like, ah, the baby's crying. Yeah. And that gives me some energy to do something, right? Otherwise, why would I do anything about it? I've never thought about that before. This interesting thing that's happening, but I have a moment. So there's first, there's a moment of like matching and meeting, right? There's some energy in the baby. And then I, as the adult of the caregiver have a, Right. So there's a, there's a connection. Yeah. Now we're beginning the beautiful process of mirroring and being seen and known and matched. So there's a way we match and meet first. Yeah. And then an adult who has had enough of their own experiences of co-regulation and can tolerate the distress of this little being. Right. So the adult has to like feel the baby's distress enough to know like, Oh, I should do something about this. Yeah. Right. But they can't feel it so much that they're totally flooded by it. And in their own state of distress. Right. So in this initial co-regulated experience, what's happening is this very immature nervous system is being met by a nervous system that can hold the baby in mind, you know, truly like energetically resonate with the distress while also holding onto their own connected to self. Yeah. Right. So So they're, like break their, you know, the, the, the sympathetic, the, the accelerator of the autonomic nervous system is, is the sympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system. There's energy there. And then the break is the parasympathetic break. And so the adult has a nice, fully matured parasympathetic break and therefore can tolerate the baby's distress while remaining connected to themselves and regulated themselves. Yeah. And then what happens? They meet up, we pick the baby up, and then almost always, right? We just start, we start regulating ourselves by rocking or singing or humming. And then we are energetically offering, literally energetically offering, because we're energetic beings and our energy exists outside of our, you know, out of our bodies. We are offering that, like the, the breaks of our own nervous system to the baby. <sighs> and then they connect up with us and they receive our, you know, our shifting into co-regulation. And then we're still, again, co-regulation is mutual and dyadic. And so we're still responding to them and what they need, right? And literally in this process, and as this process happens a million bajillion times, like the, ba- the, the myelin sheath around that vagus nerve begins to really develop and mature. And so that leads to the baby's 
development of using that break themselves. So that's just one way. There's another big way, but that's one way of looking at how self-regulation is about internalized co-regulation. It's not a skill. You know, as we get older, we can certainly learn cognitive ways to calm down, right? But if we haven't had enough experiences of co-regulation, we can't stay connected enough to our cognitive brain when we need those skills to use yeah. them. Yeah. And that's what's happening in compound corners, right? Like the like kids are too, in that moment, still too disconnected from the part of their brain where the skills kind of live or hang out, right? To be able to, to use them, they need somebody to support them, you know, regulating enough before they could draw their feelings or write you a, a note about how mad they are. Like, okay, Robin, I have one more million questions. Okay. Yes, I know. I've talked <laughs> a million hours. No, 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 no. I have so many. They're good questions. Okay. So um, first, can you, unless you've got someplace else you want to go, I'd love for you to explore with us as caregivers and parents some strategies, thoughts, insight to that moment when our child is expressing their distress and we are responding and our distress has gotten big and we are not tolerating it well. Like, right. you know, how, do you have some either practical or just insight into what's happening to me physiologically so that I can actually start co-regulating with my kids? Well, not yes. us, to be clear. Not us. That doesn't happen to us. We don't get over Oh, it distress. never happens to me. Oh, it doesn't happen to me either. People. So this is all yeah. just academic knowledge. Sure. I've For, read a lot of books about yeah. this. For yeah. other this people. Is not yeah. to help honor because, right, I never do this. I never do this. <laughs> Me either. Not even today. I didn't need it the morning while I was doing borrowing with subtraction with the children. I didn't need it then. Okay, carry on. So, yes. Okay, so to offer an uh, experience of co-regulation, I mean, to offer the experience of co-regulation that we're talking about, like even if we, you know, if we do flip our own lids and then meet our kids in this fireworks show where we're all just like flipping our lids and, you know, <laughs> until there's in a major explosion, which again, we hear about happening with other people, certainly never happens. Sure. <laughs> totally. Us. Right. That's, there's still an element of co-regulation happening there, right? Because we're responding to each other's experience. So, but what we're talking about is how do I offer my own ex experience and groundedness and regulation to help my child receive some of this mm -hmm. regulation through the co-regulation so that they can, you know, move back into regulation themselves and we can come back into a connected experience. Well, isn't that the bajillion dollar question yeah. and I'm about to just solve everyone in the whole world's problems for sure totally and we don't need to practice it I mean you're going to say it and we're going to be exactly. mad and then we'll just <laughs> do it we'll just do it real quick <laughs> right totally <laughs> so uh, obviously there we're supposed we're supposed to match each other's nervous systems like that's by design so I think the first thing to know is that you're not doing anything wrong if you find yourself starting to join your child in their dysregulation, yeah. right? That's normal. That's supposed to happen. We're energetic beings that match each other. And just like I said, like we, when, when our babies are crying, we have to have a moment of matching or we'd seriously like look over at them and just like, Oh, hmm, baby's crying. We would do anything. Hey, right? Robin, before you go on, I just want to like mark a moment and just say like, I would love for every myself, I'm doing it. I'd love for our listeners to like exhale the shame away from us right now. Like, yes. I feel like you just gave us so much permission right there to like yes. be human with our kids. So yes. I just don't want to gloss over. Like, let's just sit with that a minute. When we are matching their distress, we are doing what we are wired and created yes. to do. Yes. So step one, some self-compassion in that moment. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So carry on. I just felt You're my whole just life. being human. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, we did not check our humanity at the door when we became parents yeah. or therapists right. or, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. So we're supposed to match each other. There's also another piece of it in that that's not helpful to our child who's in distress. Right. 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 Just like it wouldn't be helpful to the baby in distress if we stayed in a super distressed place of like, oh, right. I don't know what to do, the baby, which 
I mean, I had a baby once. I got there sometimes. Like, <laughs> yeah. put the baby down, yes. walk away, come back later, which is also an indication of my own internalized co-regulation that I even could notice that I needed to do that, yeah. right? But, yeah. so yes, all of us are just doing our thing being humans. And if we want to offer some support to our kids, and especially if our kids have like a developmentally delayed development of internalized co-regulation, mm-hmm. right? We have to work really hard to offer them that co-regulation in the exact moments they need it, which is the exact moment the baby needs it when they're distressed. Yeah. But it's pretty, it's easier to kind of see a baby's distress for what it is. And it's a lot harder <laughs> to say, you know, our five-year-olds or our 10-year-olds or I have an almost 15-year-old and the way he expresses distress is hurtful sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Or scary yeah. sometimes, yeah. right? Or all these other things that are very valid emotions for me to have, right? but also not helpful to him in that exact moment. Right. Right. So, so the first thing I think we have to do is truly have this enormous paradigm shift around like what's driving this behavior. Cause if I don't understand that dysregulation was driving my kid's mouthy behavior or his reckless behavior or whatever, then there's really nowhere else to even go. So first I have to like know all of that to be true. And then I have to have enough regulation on board for myself in that moment to do the note, to have a moment of noticing. I'm noticing myself like, woo, I'm about to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or here I am joining the fireworks show. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I, what I say we do next is that we, we acknowledge that that is true, which means we have no judgment about it. Yep. Yeah. We don't judge ourselves. We don't say, oh, but I've taken 400 trauma parenting classes and I've been to all the conferences and I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> or I'm a therapist and people pay me money to teach them how to do this. I shouldn't be doing this. That's right. Mm-mm. That's right. All we do is just like, we first, we notice it's happening and then we acknowledge that it's, that it's true. This is what's happening for me right now. Yep. Yeah. I'm yep. starting to freak out too. Yep. Yep. And then sometimes, believe it or not, like there's enough, like the noticing process shifts our brain into a state that now we're starting to access our own kind of regulatory circuits, you know? And so then what I say we have to do next is have a moment of self-compassion. This is hard. Yeah. Or whatever colorful language we're all actually (laughs) using when we're really in these situations, which doesn't always sound like this is hard. Right. But let's just say that for now. (laughs) Totally. So this is hard. I'm doing the very best that I can. Right. Um, And then oftentimes what I find is that in, you know, once we practice this a million times, we start to be able to do this sometimes in a split second And then now, if you think about it, now our energy is not necessarily calm. It's not like we've dropped into like a Zen yoga pose or something. And in fact, that's actually not usually helpful to our kids when they're super (laughs) dysregulated for us to get too calm. Right. Right. But we are mindfully present. That's right. Yeah. You don't need to go. You don't need to overreact the other way because they feel alone. And the baby right. distress. Yeah. Right. That matching that we talked about with the baby exactly. needing to be matched first, that yeah. needs to happen, even with our big kids. Yeah. Right. And so, and then what happens next? I'm kind of a big fan of saying, like, well, a thousand million things could happen next based on what you know about your kid, what you know about you, what you know about what works for your kid in these situations. What do they need? Like, like the language I would use with my kid based on our family culture and our family narrative and what he knows from me is our, is caring words versus, um, you know, flippant words. I mean, it's just, our family culture is going to be different across, across the board. But, um, but if I can maintain, again, it's not about a, a calm place and it's, it's not about like even excusing bad behavior. It's about staying like mindfully connected and present enough with myself. Yeah. That, what I usually say is that then I can work on solving what the real problem is because the real problem is almost never what the behavior is. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That, I think the, you know, one of the things that, 
uh, we've got a bunch of movers in our house, like, like physical, just active, uh, fighters and flighters, you know? And so, uh, in those moments, like oftentimes that first, you know, the first instinct for years, um, prior to kind of walking into this education, if a kid ran off and I was talking to him, well, I'm gone. My lid is flipped totally. and I'm chasing after him. And now it's like, now it's a fight. Right. And so, uh, how that shifted as we've learned our kids is now when, when they go, it's take five minutes, I'll see you in a minute. And I know, yep. can I get, leave alone? Well, with others, if that five minutes is there, they think I've left them and I don't love them anymore. Right. So like right. we talk all the time at ETC about being, being students of our children and kind of knowing, and that's what you're talking yes. about here is, is learning over time, which you can't do until you are in those moments. Right. So right. do you have any tips for parents who are on the, this, this is their first time they're they're first time parents and they're freaking out and uh, they don't know yet how to regulate, how, how do you start to notice those things or put those things into practice in moments where you're trying to walk that calming road together? Well, you have to do it outside the moment first, you know, and it's not a great answer because everybody wants to be able to do better immediately. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's not possible. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, you give you an analogy. It's going to sound weird at first, but it'll get, it'll make sense in a second. But a couple of years ago, I decided to take up the most bizarre hobby of um, aerial silks, which for an almost 40 year old who has no dance or gymnastics or background is like the strangest thing ever. Right. <laughs> so I, my mind is blown because I have one in my house and their pandemic dreams have been, uh-huh. I want to learn how to do this. And, and I, we don't have that space. So they've, I built some pull-up bars in the back and we've got some gymnastics ropes and they're working on it that way. So I'm so excited to hear what you're about to say. I love that. In fact, we just built a pole barn in Michigan. We call them pole barns in our property (laughs) and it has 16 foot ceilings and we're going to, I'm going to hang a silk out there. Um, But I just decided to take up this bizarre hobby when we still lived in Austin we had access access to an amazing studio. And um, uh, for obvious reasons, I was very bad at it. (laughs) I'd never done it before. Right. I wasn't, I'm not, a. I really like moving my body and I, I do a lot of movement based stuff, but I am in no way, shape or form a natural athlete. Like I don't have talent at physical mm. kinds of things. <laughs> right. 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 And so for, again, for us, obviously I, why would I be good at it? Why on <laughs> earth would I, that doesn't even make sense. Right. I had to do multiple things in order to even get to where I am now, which is still like not very good at it, but better than I was two years ago, which was, I had to like repeatedly practice. I had to build them, build muscles, like beyond just like learning fancy tricks, which yeah. are, I yeah. needed like, mu- like I needed to build muscles. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes I did that on the silk and sometimes I did that off the silk, right. Like in just regular strength building. Yeah. Right. I needed practice. I needed to have moments of success or I would have never, who would keep doing something that they always failed at? Never. But I also had a lot of failures, quote unquote failures, right? A lot of struggle, a lot of, you know, the day I was like in, in air and my teacher had to like take the pulley system out and like pulley, like, like (laughs) crank me down to the ground because I was stuck in the air. This is real. It really happened. And there was no way I was getting out. She has like, (laughs) get me down. Lower you down. I'm still right. slightly stuck on the pole barn thing, but I'm gonna. I'm moving on, so I'm, no, I'm trying not to. It's imagine just a barn a hanging in a barn. Yeah. No, no, no. Lower it's just a barn. Top. It's just a barn. But the. But I don't know that. I actually don't know what I'm talking about right now. But it's just a barn, and instead of having like a you weren't hanging in the barn, it has poles. Were you yeah. hanging in the barn, Robin? Well, I'm hoping that we'll hang my aerial silk out there eventually. Yes. So when this you're, story when you're is from Austin, though. No, no, no. Yeah. That was okay. in my studio. <laughs> Thank you. Right. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm, I've got. I've got Robin hanging in a barn, stuck on silk. <laughs> this is turning into a very odd story. So, I think it's a decent analogy because Absolutely. it is such a bizarre skill to decide to acquire. As is parenting. Yes. Yes. And I didn't get to like look one day and be like, oh, that trick that this person who's been doing aerial silks for 10 years is cool. I think I'm just going to go do it. Right. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Right. What? 
I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the time. Ta- I didn't have the state. I mean, I didn't have the practice, right? And it's not always fun to practice, right? There are days when I leave the studio where I'm like, I think I'm just going to quit this. <laughs> Never mind. I'm too old yeah. for this. And yeah. I'm like, no. But so developing this honestly new neural network for a completely brand new skill and get parenting in and of itself, but then parenting in this way, because very few of us were parented in this way. That's right. We yeah. just, we don't have the skills for it. Yeah. Right. So first we learn about it and then, and then we, especially as we're practicing kind of this, even these steps I gave you, like, well, we have to notice it and we have to acknowledge it. We have to give ourselves compassion. Well, yes, one day we'll all be able to do that in the moment sometimes, <laughs> occasionally. But first we start doing that out of the moment. Like after there's been a big fireworks show and it's been a disaster and you're like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. I can't believe I said that to my kid. This is awful. I'm a terrible parent. Do it then. Pause and go like, oh, wait, wait. When when did I first notice that I was about to lose it? Oh, then. Mm-hmm. Oh, what that was such a valid feeling. Of course I was about to lose it. My kid was screaming at me or I was very afraid <laughs> of my yeah. kid's safety or the dog's safety or whatever is really happening. Yeah. Or of course that, ha- oh my gosh. I mean, when people are, you know, feeling terrible and overwhelmed, they kind of lose their minds. I was feeling terrible and overwhelmed and I lost my mind, right? So there's some self-compassion. So we start by doing that process, I think, as a reflective process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And doing it a lot, which yep. luckily we have lots of opportunities to practice <laughs> this process. Totally. At least in my house, I have a lot of opportunities to practice this process because I mess up a lot. Totally. Well, and I was thinking about the, uh, this is much more in my, my like love language than Ariel silks, but food uh-huh. eating, I yeah. love to eat yeah. and I yeah. love to cook. And when I was two years old, I should not uh-huh. have been let near a stove because exactly. I hadn't been taught how to cook yet. Right. And so like, exactly. I, I had to learn how to eat little by little. And when I was two, if I chucked broccoli across the room, no one would bat an eye about it, right? Now at 37, like if I chuck broccoli across the room, like there's questions. And so I need to, I need to, if I can keep that same level of emotional disconnectedness, like where I'm not attaching, or maybe I should say identity disconnectedness, like I'm not attaching my identity to the fact that this kid does not like pureed sweet potatoes. Like I, I can do that for a two and three year old. When, when a kid's 10 and I'm, and they don't know how to regulate themselves perfectly. I don't know why I then go to, I'm the worst parent in the world. Right. This is terrible. You know, this is a super right. helpful analogy, I think. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's an awesome example too, because I, tr- I, I bring it back to that a lot for parents, which is when toddlers do something, it's like the toddler thing that they do. And what do we do? We don't personalize it. We understand it in their development of their brain. We understand that they're still learning and exploring about the world. Like we can put it in context and we respond, we respond with regulation. We also respond with what I would maybe call scaffolding, which I think is another way we offer co-regulation, which is maybe I don't give my toddler 10 pieces of broccoli. I just give like (laughs) one at a time or whatever. Right. Right. And so, but the same thing is true. If you're at the dinner table, the 10 year old who starts throwing broccoli, the same pro it's really the same problem, which is they're not, they don't have enough internalized regulation to use their words, to ask for help, to identify their feelings, to slow down their dysregulation enough not to throw food. That's why we don't throw food because we're regulated enough to have a longer pause, which allows us to realize we have options. Like there's a lot of things I can do with the broccoli. I don't want to eat other than throw it. Totally. Totally. And so the 10 year old really needs the same thing. The two year old needs, which is co-regulation in the moment. And then curiosity about the scaffolding that's, that's missing. Or do they not have the words to express what they need or want? You know, like there's a lot of other things things going on that we can offer support with. Yeah. Robin, when you were talking a little earlier, I was thinking about scaffolding. And yeah. so could you maybe just take a second for our listeners that that's the first time they've heard that word. Yes. Maybe just frame that a little bit of like, how do we help our, how do we support scaffolding in our children? And then that is actually what we're doing for ourselves too. Like we're growing in our yes. capacity. To do something. So can you maybe just expound on that a tiny bit? Yeah. yeah so 
Yeah, I think about scaffolding as like the amount of you know, structure or support or co-regulation that somebody needs in order to be, let's just use the word successful, to have whatever this desired outcome is. And as in general, as kids like just naturally develop, the amount of scaffolding that we offer for certain things starts to decrease. And we have in our minds that like a child of a certain age should be able to do a certain task with a certain amount of scaffolding. So for example, this morning, I did, my son is almost 15 and I did have a, a moment. I don't know why today I had this moment. It was, you know, he, he's com- basically completely self-sufficient in the morning now, including like everything, everything, but including making his own lunch. And I had a moment today where I realized like how, what has got into him coming to the point where he's capable of making his own lunch. Like I'm not even involved, right? Well, first I made his lunch for him every day, all (laughs) the time, always. He didn't, he wasn't even involved really, right? If we go like way back. yeah. So the scaffolding was, I do everything for you, right? And then as he got a little bit older, he started to be maybe involved in lunch, maybe have a, a, had a say in what he wanted or maybe participated in in the grocery shop or something. I don't know. And, and then saw maybe, how it's done, saw how a great sandwich is put together, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then That's maybe the next... The pantry, put yes. the mayonnaise back in the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. 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 And maybe there was a space where I, like, before he could even do that on his own, where maybe, like, I made a little area in the fridge that is all the sandwich supplies, Yeah. Right. So he doesn't have to like look through the fridge or like he knows that this is where the sandwich supplies here. And eventually I have to, I don't have to do that anymore. I can just keep the mayo where the mayo goes and the whatever. Right. And then, and then maybe there's, I've made him a list of how to get through his morning routine. Like do this, do this, make your lunch. Right. And then maybe there's some verbal reminders. Hey, did you make your lunch? Right. Oh, don't forget. Or right. All of these are examples of decreasing the scaffolding to now I drop my kid off at school and I'm like, Oh, he's done everything. All I did was buy the groceries cause he can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So that's how we scaffolded and, and really everything learning to walk is scaffolded Totally chores, cleaning your bedroom, hygiene, being able to play with your friends without punching them in the face. <laughs> that. Has totally. been scaffolded. Totally. That's why we don't like send toddlers out to recess by themselves <laughs> right. without adult supervision. That's right. 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 That's right. And no one thinks twice about that, right? Right. Like, of course. And that, yeah, I think this is this is ultra helpful. Again, as the paradigm shift of like, let's let's remember that the building of the emotional neural system, it's the exact same manner as it is when we're yeah. teaching somebody to walk or teaching them to eat or whatever. So last thought, yeah. um, and this is kind of more in the, um, probably for most people, what they start to run into in the older years of parenting. Like I, I a friend of ours is um, pregnant and we were talking the other day and I was like, the first couple of years are easy. Well, I, I feel like that now we have, we have four kids and like, when our fourth came, it was like sleepwalking to go right. get in the middle of the night, feed them. They slapped me in the face for something. And it's like, she's two, whatever. She's not calling me names. And so, right. so the, the thing now that's more difficult is the emotional parenting. And so, yeah. um, for some of us, we walk into that space and we have not had the scaffolding in our own lives to really know how to regulate correctly. And so some of us have got some, some malformed ideas in that way. And one of the things you mentioned in the, the blog, and we'll, we'll link this in the show notes when we, when we post this, but one of the things you mentioned in the blog was that it's not hopeless if you were not shown, you right. were not scaffolded the right way. Uh, why don't right. we speak to that aspect last of mentorship and, um, and, and kind of co-regulation for us as adults and development in that as we get older? I would love to speak to that because I am so passionate about that right now that that we don't ever outgrow the need for co-regulation, right? That that we, you know, when something really amazing or something really awful happens to me, like the first, my first instinct, right, is in some way to attempt to connect with my husband, either literally or in my mind, like my mind goes there because I've internalized him and his connection and considering his presence brings me a moment of regulation, right? So 
we all need, no matter, even if we've had excellent experiences of co-regulation, we never outgrow the need for co-regulation. But also the reality is, is, is that so many parents haven't had excellent experiences of co-regulation themselves. Yeah. And so now, you know, we shift into this sort of new model, this new paradigm way of being with our kids. And in a way, we're asking parents to do something that their brain isn't quite capable of doing. Yeah. And so we're, so then we're accidentally shaming people because we talk about it like, well, you need to do this and you should be able to do this and you should blah, blah, blah. It's like, but I can't. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's the same reason the 10 year old's throwing broccoli because there's just not enough internalized co regulation and we're flipping our lids too fast. Yeah. That's it. It's, that's all. I mean, I don't mean that to be flip. I mean it to be like, that we're just still needing to move through this developmental experience. And as adults, again, we never outgrow the need for it, but some of us have a lot of catch up to do Mm -hmm. with co-regulation. So, you know, when I was actively seeing clients in the office, I think in a way that that was at least as much what I offered to the family as the work I did with the actual, with the child, right. That like they came to me every week just coming into our office, I think was a moment of, and parents eventually would be able to even verbalize this. They'd be like, you know, sometimes they'd feel sheepish. Like sometimes they feel like these sessions are more for me than more for my kid. I'm like, yep. Uh-huh. Yes, that's <laughs> Bingo. <works>. Excellent. <laughs> Perfect. We are doing it right. Or like, or the parents who would say like, oh, I know all these things, but it's like, I forget them all. And then I come here and I can remember it again yeah. for another week. I'm like, yes, yeah. that's your circle of co-regulation. You can make it a week. That's amazing. And then we touch in and I co-regulate you and then your regulation cup gets full. And so just understanding that that's how our brains are designed to work. Like we are supposed to have connection with other humans, particularly when we're distressed. And it doesn't matter if the distress is rational or not. Like that is, that's, that's the whole, like, just acknowledge it. It is what it is. Yeah. And so finding that, whether it be, you know, it, whether you're lucky enough to have access to excellent mental health care and the, and your therapist can offer that, you know, that that's wonderful, but for so many people, that's not accessible. And we look for that in other places and we can look for it in other kinds of professional places. We can look for that in our, you know, in our communities and in our groups and in our, you know, where, like I get some of that at my aerial studio, other people get that like in their church community or in their group with parents or, and and we're seeing it happen more and more online, which is lovely. Um, And that really was what was underneath kind of my new creation and offering to the world, which is I started well, we've been in the pandemic for so long. It's like, well, I think we all just need to embrace the fact that we're, we're in this virtual world for a while. Yeah. For a while. Totally. And you know, what was happening is I was getting emails from people or comments on my social media that was literally saying things like, when I'm feeling stressed, I bring you to mind. Mm-hmm. Or we talk about you like you're part of our family. They were, they were sending people I'd never met before ever had yeah. any interaction with. <laughs> and I started to be like, well, that's what co-regulation is. These people have begun to like internalize my voice or my words or my way of being over email and social media and webinars, Yeah, which is mind-blowing to me. Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, we, then we have to do this. We have to do this because parents, we are asking parents to do something that for some of them is impossible. Stay regulated while your kid is not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, what if you can't? Like, what if you literally physically can't? And most many, if you're not, let's just make this clear. If you're not, you can't. Yeah. Because nobody's choosing right. to be right. dysregulated. That's right. Right. If you're not staying regulated when your kid's dysregulated. It's because you can't. Yeah. And we develop that the same way our kids do, which mm-hmm. is through connection, through co-regulation, through felt safety, through through offering and receiving connection and co-regulation with other people. And so and so that's what I'm doing right now is yeah. how can I bring this to as many families as possible, and particularly families that don't have any other access yeah. to yeah. services. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Um, I would love, Robin, as we finish, and thank you for sharing all that, would you just speak for a minute to encouragement you give parents who might be feeling discouraged mm-hmm. after a moment when that regula- that co-regulation didn't go so well and you know they're, they are reflecting back or maybe there was a significant rupture with the child or a break in connection or even some emotional harm done on the hand of the parent, just, you know, they just weren't necessarily supporting the kiddo and they need to repair or sort of, can you speak to just a few tips, thoughts about the beauty and power of repair? Maybe give us a little. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yes, there's so much hope. Thank goodness. Yeah. Right. And the power of repair. I mean, if you think about it, if we were always capable of being perfect parents and we were perfect parents 100% of our time and our child was always perfectly attuned to and always perfectly co-regulated, that would actually be very bad for them. Yes, totally. They would, I mean, honestly, they wouldn't even develop their own sense of self, Yeah. right? But their stress resilience system would be extremely immature. Uh, I mean, like there's... When we rupture with somebody and then we repair with them, the child has, it doesn't matter who it is, but since we're talking about kids, like they're having the experience of, you noticed we were out of connection. Holy smokes. The power in that is bigger than the power of being attuned to and connected to in the first place. You noticed like we fell away from each other and I matter so much to you that you noticed that. And then you were gutsy enough, brave enough, vulnerable enough right. to do something about it, to come back to me and say, like, let's get back on track, or, you know, yes. literally, or just kind of, you know, we repair with people in all sorts of ways. Sometimes it's an right. overt apology. Sometimes it's not, but, um, right. but we refine each other again. Yeah. Right. And so the, this doesn't mean we need to like mess up on purpose, <laughs> Like, at least I don't. Let's we just, don't need permission to mess exactly. up. That's going to happen. Exactly. It's going to happen. I also plenty. <laughs> right. And so, you know, developing a really good practice of self-compassion yep. and recognizing that we all mess up. I mean, again, kind of like what we talked about earlier, like, huh, well, look at that. I'm human. Just And sometimes I mess up because it's not my fault. And sometimes I mess up because it is my fault. And I just yeah. did something not very nice you know, and well, again, look at that. I'm human. Right. So I can bring that compassion on board. And then I can also really remind myself that again, it's not an excuse. We're not saying like, eh, it's okay to just say hurtful things to our kids. That's not the point. Right. The point is there is so much power and goodness and that place where we refine each other and what our kids get from you know, us being vulnerable enough to say, oops, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that becomes a child who expects that in other relationships. And I tell you what, if I could hope for anything for my kid as he moves out into the world and starts to have relationships that don't center around us, for him to expect that when a relationship is messed up or somebody wrongs him, that he can expect that that person comes back and makes it right. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That I mean, yes, that's yeah. I got nothing else to say. That's a perfect stopping point for us. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, the skill and and the skill again, just like eating, just like aerial silk, yeah. just like running, anything, having seen it modeled growing yeah. up, there's gonna be situations where our kids mm-hmm. are out in the world and it's not done correctly. And then right. they get to be the modelers of that to their friends and their peers and the right. people around them. And so, right. Um, right. so basically we're fixing the world is what I'm hearing you yeah. say. Like, well, I actually think that's sort of true. I mean, I really actually think parents of kids who have experienced trauma are actually the trailblazers in this because we have to be, we have to be. Yeah. Um, and I also want to say, I don't want to forget because some people get shamed by this repair conversation because they're like, oh, I can't apologize to my kid. I can't. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no parents who really feel that. Like, I just totally. can't. I cannot totally. make myself do that. Yeah. Oh, just scaffold it. I know. Just scaffold it. I was Send them a text. Put a little post-it note on their door. Buy their favorite candy bar the next time you go to the, the, can- you know, the gas station and put it on their desk. Like, just do what you could do that sends a message of, I see that you're hurting and it matters to me. 
I and don't just have scaffold the, it. Just scaffold it. I don't have the you DJ have to- air horns button right now, but I would totally be hitting that right now <laughs> to, that, to that conversation. I mean, let me yeah. just say this. I remember when I first started like trying to practice the words, I'm sorry, they like burned my mouth. Yes. Yes. It caused me to like have an emotional internal collapse to like articulate the words. And I'm, I'm not proud of that. I'm just showing up in my honesty. Real. Yeah. That's just real hard for me to like articulate those words. And now, I mean, they just come, but now I, I apologize to my people all the time. Yeah. And I did have to grow in like my own resilience Right. To like figure out how to exercise that muscle without internal implode. Right. Like yeah. Sort of embrace my own humanity. And I will just sort of say, I just believe so very much that when our children see their parents operating with like that self-compassion of imperfection, yes. not, not excuse making, but just right. self-love of like, hey, yeah. babe, I'm so sorry. I just completely snapped at you. Yeah. Can, can we try that again? And like, yeah. then they're like, Oh, if I snap, I get to repair. Like, it's not the end of the world to be. Yes. Yes. So like, but I do want to say a minute, like sometimes I'm still too heated and I will zip a text or I might slide mm-hmm. a teenager, you know, a warm pizza. Cause mama can't say anything just yet. Cause mom's right. still calming down and like getting, so there are a million, I loved how you said yes. like time together. Like just find each other, however you can, however they need you to, because sometimes they need a gentler finding. Yeah. But even like, if we can say for a second about our, having our kids repair, I would just encourage parents to offer their children the same opportunity to scaffold repairing that sometimes our kids are going to struggle to say, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me for blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah. Right. If you feel them coming back to you, how they can in that moment, like receive that and celebrate they're coming to you. Absolutely. Even if it doesn't look prescriptive the way you think a real apology should. Yeah. You know, that's my thought there. Because you'll get there one day. Like, get there. They'll grow. They will grow in their ability to be resilient with something maybe more articulated or direct or... Absolutely. But we're all needing to find each other with such kindness. And some of us have no problem apologizing in the beginning. Some of us have a really hard time with the work required afterward to do better the next time, right? So like, I think that this, this cycle, as long as our kids are seeing us in this cycle where we are getting uncomfortable for their sake, and whether that's uncomfort, discomfort in apologizing and repairing, whether that's discomfort in showing back up again, um, you know, it's easiest for me to tune out emotionally and just go through the motions Mm -hmm. and kind of be there, but not really be there. And so Mm -hmm. uh, the hardest thing in the world is when I've failed them again in some way to pop back up at bedtime and just for them to look and go, you don't even have to say it. (laughs) (laughs) So, but now, now after years of practicing that, there's a smile as they say that. And we have a moment. I know that's my sweet spot to connect with them. And then I know, hey, the next day they got to see, they got to see dad put in work and not just show up to apologize, but they got to see dad put in work too. And so, um, so, I will tell one funny story. I know we're going long. I crawled in bed with an eight year old last night. I just like crawled in bed. I was like, Oh buddy, mama did it again. (laughs) He was like, I mean, it's Um, it's okay, mom. I'm like, honey, thank you for your kindness. But I was really kind of hard on you in there and you were doing perfectly fine. Bubs. like, I'm so sorry, you know? And then there was just, you know, everything beautiful and right in that moment happened. But anyway, it just, we just have to just enter in to the best of our ability with so much, just take care of yourselves. Just take care of yourselves. Yes. Robin, thank you. Thanks for being with us today. Yes. Thank you both. This was a blast. Thank you. This was awesome. Well, we will uh, catch up with you soon. We appreciate you being on today. See, I told you that was so much fun. If you now love JD and Tona as much as I do, you're going to want to search for Empowered to Connect in your podcast player and hit subscribe. As always, y'all, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to connect with me today and for caring for kids impacted by trauma. I am so grateful for you. Keep coming back and keep doing amazing work out there in the world.
please take a moment to share this podcast with your colleagues, friends, grandparents, teachers, everyone. I mean, the sooner the whole world understands the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will get to live in a world that sees them for who they really are. Completely amazing, sometimes struggling, and let's be real, sometimes struggling a lot. Thanks for tuning in today, and I will see you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what? If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.